Okay, we're going to continue in our series this morning uh, entitled Wisdom of the Kings and uh, covering a variety of different kings and many of them were interesting individuals with a variety of gifts and or downfalls and, and this week is no different. Uh, we're going to be in Second Chronicles chapter 25. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you have a, your Bible app, just keep it open at Second Chronicles 25. I'm going to be in and out of the text. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but we will be going in and out of it a little bit. So just keep your Bible open to 2 Chronicles 25 this morning. Uh, Looking at all the kings in the scheme of, of all the big picture of the kings, we're going to look at Amaziah today. And he could land on what you might call a spectrum of good kings. But this is a spectrum, and he's kind of there by the skin of his teeth. And that's because... Everybody on this spectrum has some type of flaw, and he has a flaw as well, uh, although he is considered generally a good king compared to the other ones. But think of it this way. Even as you think about the world, the history throughout the the passage of time, there's been many, many leaders that that have risen and then fell because of some downfall or some flaw or something inherently wrong in them. And so that's what we're going to look at today uh, with respect to this king. I think we can also see this, if we're honest, in patterns with people, with us, with people we know, families, uh, friends, acquaintances. You might notice that people tend to kind of carry things on in their, in their family. You, you might know someone be like, you know what, she's, she's bitter and angry just like her mom and just like her grandma. Or... Yeah, well, he became addicted to drinking just like his dad. Or even something like, you know what? A short temper runs in my family, so get over it! Um, might be a little bit over the top there, but you get, you get the idea. Now, the good news is, as a Christ follower, we don't have to just live with these generational hang-ups. We can cut it off. We can find freedom in Christ. We can move on. We don't have to uh, be stuck with that. We don't have to accept a fatal flaw or family pattern. We have Jesus. But we see these realities. Even the Harvard Business Review, they did some extensive research on Fortune 500 companies. The conclusions are maybe not that in-depth, but it took them a lot of research to get to these conclusions. This is what they said. They did research on Fortune 500 executive leaders among those who failed as leaders, and they found a number of fatal flaws that were identified. Here's a few of them. Lack of clear vision and direction, poor judgment, hypocrisy, basically not, you know, not walking the talk, resisting new ideas, not learning from mistakes, and failing to develop others. So this is, this is recently with their research, but you look at that list, a lot of those apply to some of the kings that we've been learning about in this message series. So in some way, our human nature and our bent towards sin just doesn't change. These weaknesses continue over time. So today we're going to look at the life of Amaziah. And he was, he, honestly, he was a mixed bag when it came to following God. He was 25 when he became the king and he had a 29-year reign. And if you want to look at the context in terms of last week to this week, there were three kings between Jehoshaphat, which we covered last week, and Amaziah today. Now Amaziah had moments of obedience to God, but he had a penchant for his own wisdom, his own way, his own desires. 
And this all became a slippery slope, leading him off track and to the rejection of godly counsel and and eventually to his complete destruction. So we're going to look at this today. It's in 2 Chronicles 25. We're going to begin by reading verses 1 to 4. You can follow along in your own Bible or Bible app with me. Here we go. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother was Jehoiadan from Jerusalem. Amaziah did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, but not wholeheartedly. When Amaziah was established as king, he executed the officials who had assassinated his father. However, he did not kill the children of the assassins, for he obeyed the command of the Lord as written by Moses in the book of the law. Parents must not be put to death for the sins of their children, nor the children for the sins of their parents. Those deserving to die must be put to death for their own crimes. So as we get into the beginning of this account with the life of King Amaziah, we can see a couple of key points standing out from the early description of his reign. First, his fatal flaw is not hidden. This comes out really early. Let's take a closer look at verse 2. I've got this one on a slide. Amaziah did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, but here's the catch, not wholeheartedly, not wholeheartedly. Think about that. Think about your own life. Do you consider yourself to follow God wholeheartedly, half-heartedly, most-heartedly, not really a word? Uh, he was a, he was not a wholehearted follower of God. He had a divided heart towards God. We can get a little bit more insight by looking at the parallel account in 2 Kings 14.3. You don't have to turn there. It's on a slide as well. This is what the parallel account in 2 Kings says. Amaziah did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, but not like his ancestor David. That would be King David. So there's the example of doing what's uh, pleasing in the Lord's sight and having a lifestyle of repentance when that didn't occur. Instead, he followed the example of his father, Joash. You see, his father, Joash, was, was the good guy who turned bad. Now, he was only seven when he became the king, and he reigned for 40 years. But Joash didn't really make this personal faith commitment. It wasn't his own faith. He was kind of riding on the coattails of someone else, namely Jehoiada. And as soon as Jehoiada died... Joash turned away from God. In fact, it's almost like he never really was following him. He was just following the coattails of someone else. So unfortunately, this is the example that Amaziah is going to follow as well. He's, he walked in obedience to God in some ways, but his divided heart is going to cause all sorts of problems. Now think about it. Do you think that just partial obedience cuts it? Like if we're trying to live out our faith, does does partial obedience get the job done? Does that lead people to Jesus? Probably not. And yet we don't have the capacity to be perfect, right? So it becomes a matter of we're, we're, we're surrendering to Jesus. We're letting the Spirit do this work of sanctification in our life, making us more like Jesus on an ongoing basis. But over time, we're going to have to turn over more and more areas of our heart and our life to God. And it, as we do that, we become wholehearted followers. Now that wasn't the case here. Um, when the Pharisees had a little bit of obedience, that didn't go well, did it? It gave them just enough confidence that they thought they were okay. And they became uh, an example of what not to be like. So 
The goal here isn't a little bit of obedience. That can be really dangerous. It can make us think that we're okay when we're not actually following, following God. So we want to have a heart that's grappling with the Spirit as the Spirit guides us and not a divided heart. Here's the first point. A divided heart leads to demise. A divided heart leads to demise. It just doesn't work. We want to surrender all that we are to Jesus. Thinking about our physical heart, the heart is the single most crucial and critical organ in the human body and life. The heart provides blood and oxygen so all the rest of the organs can function. And while a person can be brain dead and still be alive, you cannot, you can't be heart dead and be alive. You just can't. You just can't. Got a picture here. Does anybody know what this is? Anyone? Just, oh, I know the physician, uh, Dr. Weens does. It's an EKG, right? Or at least a series of them. You've got a normal, <clears throat> excuse me, a normal rhythm at the top. You've got a bit of a flutter in the middle, and then you've got full-on AFib on the bottom. Okay? Um, this will kind of let you know how your heart's doing. And if you hang out in that AFib category for too long, guess what comes next? Next slide. This guy. Okay, this guy comes next. And uh, I'll keep this short, but I actually had the pleasure of seeing both of these things one time. A few years ago, my heart kind of went out of rhythm. And um, had I... You know, had I gone to a cardiologist, they might have given me some meds and helped me kind of come out of that rhythm and over time. But when you go to the ER, they kind of solve things, right? You don't have, you don't go to the ER and then they let, well, yeah, go to, go see this guy and go see that specialist. So my heart was out of rhythm for long enough that this guy came and, uh, they sedated me and no lie, no joke, the, the sedation didn't work well enough. When they paddled me, I felt that. It was like, boom, and I, I went off the table a little bit. My eyes were open. I, you should have seen the look on the anesthesiologist's face when I told him, wow, that hurt. He, I don't, he just kind of like slowly walked out of the room. And I don't want to get, didn't want to get anybody in trouble. But this is what, this is what happens. You get, you get cardioverted. Haven't had any problems since, thank, thank goodness. But that, that's what happens. When your heart is out of whack, if you can't get it under control with, with meds or whatever, you get cardioverted into a regular sinus rhythm. Now, that's what Amaziah needed, except he needed a spiritual EKG and a spiritual cardioversion. He needed a new heart. The root idea of the Hebrew word translated wholeheartedly in verse 2 is that of being whole and complete. An imperfection in this, in the heart consists of incomplete surrender. So in the case of Amaziah, we're gonna see throughout this narrative, this problem of this, this heart that was not fully surrendered to God's will. Now to his credit, we're gonna look now at an instance of obedience in verses, uh, three and four. Once his reign was solidified, what Amaziah did was he brought to justice all those who had assassinated his father, Joash. So he fulfilled God's command in Genesis chapter 9 to punish murderers with execution. So he executed his father's assassins, 
But knowing that he was under the authority of the Mosaic law, he didn't follow the customs of the ancient Near East culture. If, if he was going to follow the customs of the culture that time, not only would he have killed the assassins, he would have killed, wiped out their whole families. That's what the surrounding culture did at that time. But knowing that he was under the authority of, of the law given to Moses, he doesn't do that. He follows this. This is in verse 4, but it's from Deuteronomy 24, 16. Parents must not be put to death for the sins of their children, nor the sins of their parents. Those deserving to die must be put to death for their own crimes. You see, this was risky obedience for Amaziah because in a game of revenge, his life would be at risk from the very people that he spared. Those remaining family members, he didn't execute them, but they could still be angry that he had executed their fathers. So this was risky obedience. Next, King Amaziah begins organizing an army of 300,000 select troops. He's going to take out the Edomites. All these troops, they're 20 years or older. They're in great condition. They're trained in the use of a spear and a shield. I don't know if anybody other than John Gossett is trained in that type of thing here at church. But but they were all trained. They were all trained. Um, But here's the thing. He's thinking about this battle... He's like, well, my army looks pretty strong, but what would it hurt to, to bolster it even a little bit more, right? So he has this idea, which seems pretty reasonable, and uh, he dishes out 7,500 pounds of silver to hire another 100,000 experienced fighters from Israel. After all, how could another 100,000 fighters hurt when he's going to go into this battle? But here's the problem. The King Amaziah didn't consult God on this one. If you, if you follow the battles in the Old Testament, they win these battles against all sorts of crazy odds because God is with them. And here, he's thinking, yeah, I got 300,000, I need another 100,000. He's just, he's operating off of his own reason and human logic, which, which actually doesn't seem that bad, but he didn't consult God. So God sends a nameless man of God in verse 7 and 8. A nameless prophet comes to him with a message. Here it is. Follow along in verse 7 and 8 in your Bible. But a man of God came to him and said, Your majesty, do not hire troops from Israel, for the Lord is not with Israel. He will not help those people of Ephraim. If you let them go with your troops into battle, you will be defeated by the enemy no matter how well you fight. God will overthrow you, for he has the power to help you or to trip you up. So this prophet, this man of God, he's like, don't do it. Don't do it. God is not with Israel right now. And if you do this, you are doomed if you go to battle with them. You're doomed. Well, Amaziah's response is one of practical concern, but it shows where his concern and heart is. He has a divided heart. And this is what he says. Amaziah asks, this is verses 9 and 10. Amaziah asks the man of God, but what about all that silver I paid to hire the army of Israel? The man of God replied, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. So Amaziah discharged the hired troops and sent them back to Ephraim. This made him very angry with Judah, and they returned home in a great rage. So you can understand his concern, kind of a practical concern, but the prophet has been crystal clear here in saying that if he goes to battle with these troops, he is not going to win. And Amaziah is concerned about the money that he's already got in the game, that he's already spent. But 
the prophet's question is essentially a familiar one to us. It's basically this. How much will it cost, or I'm sorry, Amaziah's question. How much, how much will it cost to be obedient? How much will it cost to be obedient? So, if he's obedient, he's likely gonna lose that money. It's too late to, to, uh, to get that back. He's gonna send those fighters home, but he's gonna lose the money. Or, he can move forward in his own way, but what's the cost of that disobedience gonna be? I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts this into perspective for us. He says, salvation is free. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Should be a slide for this one. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. The result of us living a life that's, that's thankful to God for saving us is, is one of costly discipleship. And Amaziah here is struggling with this one. He's struggling with what to do. I think oftentimes when money's involved, we, it, it's really hard. It's really hard to know, to know how to handle things. Uh, I came across a situation that I just thought was phenomenal, uh, last week. Uh, next slide, Ed. Lighthouse Church, friends of ours, Mennonite Brethren Church in Denver, planted by Josh and Brianne Shaw and Julie Weens from Bethany. Uh, she's been helping different church planting teams, a number of them. Now she's in Germany and we're supporting her as a church, as a missionary. She was also part of the launching of Lighthouse Church. They started in 2015 and uh, had their share of struggles, kind of getting going, reaching people in the neighborhood, had to do a location change, um, started getting some traction last year. Now, somehow, God's bringing them people. People are coming to Christ, getting baptized. They're renting a new facility in a great neighborhood. The neighborhood's really responding. They went to two services. They just went to three. And here's what happened next. Another church in Denver, also an MB church, um, a church there faithfully serving their community for over 65 years, but really dwindling and really struggling. So their leadership seeking God. Okay, what are, what are, what are our next steps? They feel God leading them to approach this church, the church plant, and say, hey, we would like to join. And not only would we like to join, we'd like to give you our paid church, paid off church buildings and our bank account, and we're going to be one church. And so the last, uh, the church that, that made that offer, they had their last service last week on the 28th. This morning, they're meeting with Lighthouse Church as one church, as Lighthouse Church together. So talk about kind of leaving money on the table. They had a paid off building and a bank account and God said, join them and let them have that and do this together. And that's, that's what they're going to try to do. So we're praying that, trusting that that goes well, but couldn't help but think, wow, that is just a phenomenal story of where the rubber hits the road on these things. They sought God and he showed them the way forward and it didn't matter that it, that involved money. They, they were obedient, obedient with every asset that they were managing for God in the first place. Also, think about it this way. You ever put money into a car and it just, I mean, I think I've, I think sometimes I've put close to eight or nine thousand dollars of repairs in like a three thousand dollar car. I've had some like really nice cars in my life, like a 1984 station wagon 
and a 1990 Chevy Sprint that ran more like a sewing machine than a car. But in a lot of these car, a lot of these cars, I should have just gotten rid of it. Too much money going in and not good cars. God's calling us to be obedient no matter the cost. Now, here's the amazing thing. Amaziah listens. He's got money in the game. He's got 7,500 pounds of silver. And he discharges the troops and he sends them back home. So he listens to the warning from the man of God. He listens. The prophet tells him in verse 9, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. God can do more. God can do more. And I bet you that's what it was for these two churches putting their heads together. It's like, you know, if we join up, we have these things, we, you have people, we have the built, you know, we can do more together. God can do more through us. And that's, that's what he listens to in this case. The prophet is saying that whatever your obedience might cost, it's ultimately going to be much cheaper than disobedience and those consequences. If you fully trust God, He can handle anything. If you give Him every corner of your heart, He can provide. So think about it this way. The one who indulges in alcohol, they have to give up the euphoric pleasures of being intoxicated. But if they don't, they might have to give up their job, their marriage, their family. So the cost of obedience beats the cost of disobedience every time. So what is it, what is it in our lives? Is it drunkenness? Is it porn? Is it lying? Is it cheating? Is it stealing? Is it, is it selfish ambition? Or maybe it's just kind of smug self-righteousness that all those things I rattled off that none of those are, are an issue for us. Maybe it's the right, it's the, it's the self-righteousness. All of these can take us down. They can take us down. So Amaziah obeys God on this point. He summons his courage and he leads his army to the Valley of Salt where they slaughter the Edomite troops. Meanwhile, there's still a consequence because even though Amaziah didn't fully follow through on his original plan when he let those troops go, they were not too happy and they ended up slaughtering a bunch of other people on their way home. So there was, there was consequences. They likely slaughtered people because they were, they were looking forward to getting that plunder from going to battle. The 7,500 pounds wasn't going to pay everybody there. They wanted to get their, their plunder and they didn't. And they were upset. This is what verse 13 says. The hired troops that Amaziah had sent home raided several of the towns of Judah between Samaria and Beth Horon. They killed 3,000 people and carried off great quantities of plunder. It's all because he didn't, the king didn't consult God. He started this plan and even though he didn't fall through with it, there was still a consequence. It's pretty shocking. It's a reminder for us today that, that while any sin can be forgiven, the secondary results of sin can be very difficult. It can be very difficult. Just think about divorce. Divorce is, it's, it's forgivable. It's not ideal, but it's forgivable. But the consequences, they roll out. Financially, with kids, future generations, friendships. It's really, really tough. God in His grace can often kind of mitigate some of those losses and bring healing and bring back what was, what was lost, but there's a lot of fallout for choosing sin. So now on the heels of a couple of examples of His obedience, He begins to live out the second half of our key verse in verse 2 that we looked at. 
which said, Amaziah did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, but not wholeheartedly. Now we're going to start seeing the not wholeheartedly as well. See, this divided heart leads him into pride. And uh, what comes next is a great moment of compromise and an entry point of deception into his, into his heart and into his life. Let's go to verse 14. When King Amaziah returned from slaughtering the Edomites, he brought home with him idols taken from the people of Seir. He set them up as his own gods, and he bowed down in front of them, and he offered sacrifices to them. Man, he really does have a divided heart. Can you believe that? These are, these are the false gods that were not able to defend the people that he just conquered. You know, he goes with God's help and conquers these people, and those gods didn't help those people. And then he takes those gods. I mean, it defies, it defies any type of logic. But again, once you start taking a step of sin here and a step of sin there, there goes your wisdom. There goes your discernment. It's easy to just get on this slippery slope and be blinded to these things. So he rejects the truth that God can do more and he seeks after these idols. Now this really angers God, rightfully so. And God sends another nameless prophet to ask him a question. This is what the prophet says. Verse 15. Why do you turn to gods who cannot even save their own people from you? And this is what Amaziah says in the next verse. But the king interrupted him and said, Since when have I made you the king's counselor? Be quiet now before I have you killed. Shocking, right? The first time the man of God comes, he actually obeys. He dismisses the troops. What's changed? A little while longer, this, this prophet comes, and the king interrupts him and threatens to kill him. I mean, there's kind of no going back for Amaziah now. He's... He's on the slippery slope. Do you, do you believe that sin makes us stupid? I think, I think it does. Sin makes us stupid. Here's a quote. I've showed this to you before, but I think it's really helpful to think through this again in this, in this message. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay, right? The first time you indulge in something, it's, you're thinking, okay, just, just this one time or whatever. And then it takes you farther and it keeps you longer and it costs you more. No, nobody wants to lose their job or their family or their life. What it, it's, it's the, it's the lie of, of sin. Pastor Brian mentioned a few weeks ago that the effects of sin are unpredictable. And that's exactly what this is about here. They're unpredictable. Amaziah is unpredictable. He threatens to kill this man of God. And by the way, these, when these men of God come, this is the thread of grace in the Old Testament. God is giving people repeated chances to get away from this and, and go with God's way. God does not want him to perish, but he rejects the offer of God's grace through this prophet. Look at verse 16, the second part of it. This is what the prophet says when he responds that way. I know that God is determined to destroy you because you have done this and have refused to accept my counsel. It's kind of over now, isn't it? The prophets made a pronouncement. God is determined to destroy you. Of course, Amaziah is blinded by this point. He's not listening. He doesn't actually believe that it's over for him. But he has, he has embraced pride and the wrong 
type of wisdom. This is another point if you're taking notes. A divided heart leads to pride and the wrong wisdom. Pride and the wrong wisdom. And that's exactly what he's going to do next. He's going to go get some more wrong wisdom. Look at verse 17. After consulting with his advisors, again, these are not prophets from God. These are the wrong, these are the wrong people. After consulting with his advisors, King Amaziah of Judah sent this challenge to Israel's king, Joash, the son of Jehoaz and the grandson of Jehu. Come and meet me in battle. Come and meet me in battle. Amaziah shows us that when you're stuck in the grips of sin, you think your ending is going to be different than it's going to be. He still thinks he can win this. He still thinks he can make his own plans. So when we choose sin, we think it's going to give us our heart's desires. It's going to fix things. It's going to make our lives better. But it's not. It's just going to lead us to destruction. He's been told by the prophet that God is going to destroy him, and yet he is coming for this battle, okay? So the king of Israel, in verses 18 and 19, uh, through a bit of a riddle, basically tells him, hey, just stay where you are, be happy about your previous victory, and just stay home if you know what's good for you. But even the king of Israel's warning is meaningless to the deceived Amaziah. Verse 20 says this, He refused to listen, for God was determined to destroy him for turning to the gods of Edom. I love this. It's one of these verses where it's like human free will, God's sovereignty, how do they work together? Kind of paradoxical. But they do. They work. He simultaneously chose the wrong thing and it was God's plan to destroy him. And it was not God's fault because he chose it. And it's hard for us to kind of grapple with that, but that's exactly what happened. He refused to listen to God for God was determined to destroy him. So he's embracing idolatry. God allows him to enter into this foolish war with Israel. The foolish idols led him to foolish choices. And in God's wisdom, he's going to say, hey, you're going to experience the effect of these choices. We can see from the parallel account in 2 Kings that uh, that Israel's army at that time wasn't anything to write home about. About 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, 10,000 foot soldiers. But again, if God's not with you, He's not with you. God said, don't do this. There's no victory without God. So verses 21 to 24 detail the war. We're not going to read that this morning, but it's detailed there. And the consequences of this decision of Amaziah are staggering. First of all, the battle's lost. Amaziah loses his freedom. And for a time, he becomes a prisoner of the king of Israel. A portion of Jerusalem's wall is broken down, leaving Jerusalem in a weaker position to face future attacks. And the king loses his personal wealth and the wealth of his people. Uh, verse 24 says that all the gold and silver, all the articles of the temple of God, and the treasures of the royal palace, gone. And to top it off, they took hostages. You don't typically see that in the Bible, but here it is. They took hostages. So these are all the effects. All he had to do was listen. Even the king of Israel said, don't do it, man. And he did. And look at these horrible uh, consequences of this war. The fallout was just was just terrible. But remember, it started with his own sinful decisions, which took away his, his discernment and his wisdom and just got him on the slippery slope. Now Amaziah gets a little bit of a break after this because the king of Israel dies and it seems like Amaziah is released. 
but he's not, he's anything but a popular leader in his own land at this point. After all this goes down, he is not a popular guy. Let's, let's look at the ending here in verses 27 and 28. After Amaziah turned away from the Lord, there was a conspiracy against his life in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lashish. But his enemies sent assassins after him, and they killed him there. And they brought his body back on a horse. And he was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. Man, what a horrible ending. He's targeted, he's murdered, and he's carried away on a horse. See, he had a divided heart, and he did not continue to trust God's promises for him. God wanted to do much more than this, but he allowed idols into the corner of his heart, of his heart, and those idols took him down. So he failed to surrender every corner of his heart to God. But there are some characters in the story that didn't do that. He's in, in, in fact, throughout the narrative of all the kings, there's these repeated characters that, that do have a kind of full-hearted devotion to God. And I'm talking about the prophets. In chapter 25 here, we have the unnamed man of God in verse 7. And then we have the unnamed prophet in verse 15. And these guys are examples of hearts fully surrendered to God, proclaiming God's message fearlessly. Final point, a fully surrendered heart leads, leads to life. A fully surrendered heart leads to life. The prophets were proclaiming a way that led to life, life trusting God fully. You see, the message of the gospel is not, it's not saying this. It's not, you're a sinner, try harder. And you gotta be careful when you're reading the Old Testament. That's not the message. It's not just like, hey, sin is bad, don't do it. Or you're a sinner, try harder. That, that's not the good news. But, what is, is when we exchange our life for a new life with Jesus. And we, over time, are able to give every area of our life over to Jesus. Every corner of our heart over to Christ. So that this life, as we surrender our heart, we're surrendering it to God, to Jesus. And this life that we get in return is life in Christ. So that's our challenge today is, what are we doing with every corner of our heart? Are we giving every, every corner of our heart to Jesus as He, as He speaks to us and allows us to understand that there's more, there's more yet to surrender to Him? Sometimes that's, that's over time as we grow in our walk with the Lord. He shows us more and more things. Jesus said the same thing in Mark 8, 35. He said, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and the sake of the good news, you will save it. Doesn't seem to make sense, but when you think about it a little bit more, it does. As we as we hang on to things in the corner of our heart, we actually end up losing our life. As we surrender everything to Jesus, we get that we get the effects, we get the benefits, the blessings of obedience. And remember the that beats the effects of disobedience every single time. That's where life to the full comes in surrendering to Jesus. So what area do you need to surrender to Jesus today? Don't just try harder. Surrender. Surrender to God so that He can do a work in you to make you more like Christ. If you'd like to talk with me after the service about what it looked like 
to follow Jesus in a personal way, I'd love to chat with you at the conclusion. Let's pray. Great God, we just thank you for um, these examples throughout the Bible of the way that you give us opportunities to uh, be in line with grace and pursue forgiveness and wholeness and make choices that lead to life. God, I pray for each person here that this week that your spirit would work in and through us, identifying those corners of our hearts that we have yet to surrender to you. God, help us to grapple with that. Not in a way where we feel condemned and judged, but in a way that we have this gentle invitation by you, Jesus, and your spirit to surrender every portion of our heart that leads to full life in you. We thank you, Jesus, for making salvation available to us and that life with you truly is life to the full. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.